The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Those are verses 14 through 21 of Psalm 145, which is the psalm appointed for today, Saturday, April the 23rd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our romp through prophetic literature in the Old Testament, and today we're in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. We're in the Gospel according to John, chapter 16, verses 16 to 33, and then in the book of the Acts, chapter 4, verses 13 to 31. This is a praise report to the Lord. In in all these things, by the way, in, in that first psalm that I read, and then in this passage from Isaiah, what we're seeing is an ode to God. And, and I think we need to be good at praising Him and good at at uh, lifting him up and exalting him. And, and yesterday's psalm, I should have mentioned this yesterday, yesterday's psalm basically begins with creation, and and it will proclaim a portion. So he made the lights to uh, govern the day and the night. His steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule by day. His steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars by night. His steadfast love endures forever. And so that that's perfectly done. It begins with, that, that psalm actually begins with praising him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it pro- proclaims him at the highest, most transcendent level. And then from there brings it down to creation. And then from there, as that psalm goes forward, it praises God for specific things he's done in the lives of the people. And, and when I say the people, I mean not as individuals, but what he's done for the nation. And we need to be able to be good at proclaiming those same things. And we need to be good at proclaiming them in our lives. One of the things we can do is to learn more about church history, I mean, which doesn't mean you have to have an in-depth knowledge of church history, but it does mean we should have a familiarity with it to see how God has preserved the church and the ways that he, in which he has grown the church down the years for the men and the women who have faithfully served and, and preserved the gospel that's been handed down from the time of Jesus to us in an unadulterated way. So we need to be thankful for what's come before. We need to confess the sins of the church, certainly. But that doesn't mean that we reject the church because it's sinned. It's the, it's the modern uh, initiative to do exactly that, right? To see the only the flaws in something and never the good things in it. And it's tiresome, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't think anybody's ever been sort of in denial about certain things in the church and certain things in the country and in the world and all that kind of stuff. But but the reality is, is that, that because we focus so much only on the negative, then we miss the great work of God that's been outpourings of the Spirit down the centuries and millennia 
since the time of Jesus. We need to be good at that because we need to, to have our prayer life informed by that very thing. We need to, to begin with praise of God, remembering who he is in order that we might then come before him with our petitions. So here we get, O Lord, you're my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you've done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. So he's not just thanking him for the things that he has done. He's also resting in the sovereignty of God, that the things you've done were plans formed of old. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. He's speaking of their enemies. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. As opposed to God's city and God's temple. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. See Egypt, for instance. See Nebuchadnezzar, who comes to know the Lord at some level. (laughs) So you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. In other words, not doing anything at all. Like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. So he's recognizing God's sovereignty and control over the nations. He's, he's seeing in this that ultimately those, the, the rising of those nations it was part of God's plan. But ultimately, because they're not turning to him, their destruction is also part of God's plan. And he has a purpose for all these things on this mountain which would be Mount Zion, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He, he's saying that, that all nations are going to participate in this feast, and, and it's a perfect feast. It has all the best stuff. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that's spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. I mean, it just brings me almost to tears just to read those two lines. That he will swallow up death forever. I mean, that's just the most profound statement I think that you could ever make. And and Isaiah sees God's going to do this. And he will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And and we see that and we participate in that. We who were once far off, he has now brought near by the power of his Holy Spirit, by the by the the testimony and the witness of of those who have gone before us, who have preserved that gospel, who have preserved that truth and passed it down, preached it to us, taught it to us in Sunday schools, taught it to us in our homes, wherever we've been, and whoever has taught us and whoever has told us about Jesus, we should be thankful for those people, those faithful people who knew that the most important thing they had to give us was the gift of Jesus and the knowledge and the understanding of him. Because in him, as Peter said, only in him. There's no other name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. It's it's so important for us to wait for him and to be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And that's more than just an earthly sort of salvation. It's the salvation that comes with the swallowing up of death forever. And that we know that we will participate in that heavenly kingdom 
which will be established here on the earth, and we will see things as they were intended to be, and as we know that they were intended to be. We will see the perfection and the beauty of God's good new creation, and we won't muck it up. (laughs) In the gospel today, Jesus is continuing to, to prepare the disciples for his death and prepare them for what comes next in their own lives. A little while, and you'll see me no longer, and in a little while, you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while and you will see me, and a little while you will not, first you will not see me, and then again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world rejoice. That's after the crucifixion. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And sure enough, <laughs> that's on Easter, one of my favorite songs is our, our um, desire will be turned to blazing joy. I like the idea of blazing joy. That, that really is a, a powerful image. Um, our despair will be turned to blazing joy. I mean, you know, that, that's a long way. <laughs> that's a 180 degree turnaround and it is what we will experience when we stand before him if we're in Christ Jesus and in order to show what that looks like he gives this little metaphor when a woman's giving birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she has delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish some do for joy that a human being has been born into the world so also you have sorrow now but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And we see that on, on the day of the resurrection when we see those disciples coming from Emmaus, who had spent time with Jesus that day, and they come that night. They, they'd reached their destination, and it was evening. And they turned around, and they went back to Jerusalem because their joy at having been with Jesus was so great that they knew that the resurrection was real and true. It was so great that they had to go back and tell the disciples, even though it would have been a a journey undertaken at night after a long day's journey to get to their destination. Um, So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father— in my name, he will give it to you. In other words, you're not going to have to go through me anymore. You can just use my name. That'll get you access to the Father. It's like going, it would have been like going to Studio 54 back in the day and saying, I know Steve Rebell. And, and oh, cool, you're a friend of Steve's. So come on in. And, it, and that's what it looks like. It's the entree to the Father. And, and because you believe in me and you ask in my name, then he will give to you. Until, you have, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. It proves Jesus' inextricable connection with the Father to ask in his name. And, and you ask in his name because we know how much the Father loves him, because he accepted his sacrifice and raised him from the dead. It's the only name we can use that we know that about. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, the parables, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you'll ask in my name, and I don't say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Oh, 
So you're not talking about an earthly father here. I mean, his disciples, this is so strange to me. Every time I read this, I think, well, what in the world happens here? His disciples says, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Do you see how they say that? (laughs) He hasn't said anything different. He's just talking about going to the father. I've come from the father. I'm going to the father. He said this over and over again, and so why would they say, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. I don't know, honestly. I don't know what Jesus said in any of that that led them to suddenly come to a new place of faith. He said, answered them, do you now believe? Really? Seriously? Now? (laughs) Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. In other words, what he's saying is, is that, okay, so you, you believe you've come to faith now. You believe that you are fully, 100% convicted who I am. He said, well, let me tell you this. In, in a few minutes here, <laughs> the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. So you think you believe? It feels like you believe, but you're still looking for the wrong outcome here. You're going to be so confused in a little bit, you're just going to scatter and leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father's with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I mean, Jesus is speaking, using future tense here, and he can, because as far as he's concerned, that this is already accomplished. He knows the end knows what it's going to look like, and knows that the triumph is actually complete. He has overcome the world. How did he overcome it? Through righteousness and love. In the Acts passage, so the, they had, the Peter and John had just proclaimed that their salvation in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone, that they crucified him and that God raised him from the dead. And now they see the boldness of Peter and John and perceive they were uneducated men. They were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But (laughs) seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I mean, it's sort of hard to speak in opposition to what they had just preached when they hadn't just preached it. They had actually demonstrated it by the healing of this man who had been born lame. So when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident, and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. I mean, this was done in public, in an extremely public place, in front of thousands of witnesses. As we were told, 5,000 people came to faith because of that. So we don't have any idea how many people would have been there. And they said, you know, there's nothing we can do. We can't really cover this up, and we can't just kill everybody, right? (laughs) But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. You know, in the past, these guys have been relatively docile, <laughs> you know, but so let's go tell them not to do it again. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, "This don't, you got to love this first sentence. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. <laughs> You have to decide whether it's right for us to listen to you or God. Right here in the sight of God, 
you have to decide that. For we cannot speak, but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we're, we're going to do what we know to be right. We're, we're not afraid of you anymore. Your power over us has gone. I see this for what it is. It's a Potemkin village, and the, the, the emperor has no clothes. We've already seen that. We saw that in the resurrection of Jesus, and you just saw it in the healing of this man. And when they, the council, had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. They're not going to be able to turn this crowd in the same way they were able to turn it against Jesus. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So you got this guy who's over 40 years old who doesn't just sort of shakily stand up on his legs with help from about five different people. No, it says he was leaping and walking and praising God, a man who was over 40 years old who had never walked before in his life because he had been born lame. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And you got to believe they all laughed, right? And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. See, this is where they always begin. You begin with the sovereignty of God and the greatness of God, and then you move down the ladder from there to the goodness of God and the things that God has done that provide evidence of his goodness. So, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, this is Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. In other words, all this stuff is absolutely in vain, but they're applying this passage. Why did the Gentiles rage and the kings of the earth and the rulers gather together against the Lord and his anointed? They're, they're, they're talking about the Jewish leaders here and comparing them with these Gentiles that David wrote about. So they, they immediately begin to see the separation between themselves and Judaism that it's Judaism who is, is actually doing most of the persecution against us, and they're the ones who are plotting in vain against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And now they're going to they're gonna move down the ladder again here from Herod and Pontius Pilate, the two main rulers over the area, uh, the, the Romans, along with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. It's interesting that they get to them last, considering, well, we were the ones who demanded that he be crucified. The, the Romans didn't come against him. The Gentiles didn't come against him. We did. <clears throat> to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So it's an interesting look at that to say these all gathered together and they did what they wanted to do, but it was all part of your plan that you had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats— and these aren't coming from the Romans now, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. So, Lord, help us to overlook those threats and grant us instead the ability to speak with boldness. You know, don't let us be cowards, sort of like Peter was <laughs> on the night Jesus was, was arrested. You know, don't, don't let us be like that again. We don't want to be those people. Now that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to be people of boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So in other words, let us speak while you work. While you work through us, let us be able to always, with boldness, explain what power has brought this healing to people. 
And when they prayed, the spirit of the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the way we need to pray. That's the way the t- church needs to pray. The church needs to pray for holy boldness. And it also needs to pray that God would do signs and wonders and that our proclamation with holy boldness would be made about those things which God was doing, that there would be a witness exactly the way Jesus said he gave witness to the world was through his preaching and through the works. And we need to couple those things, and the church needs to be praying for an outpouring of God's Spirit in such a way that we do see signs and wonders, and then we can proclaim the one in whose name and in whose power those are done.